Morning, church. Let's read God's word. Um, We're starting at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit. That is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings. Sorry. Greetings every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send your greetings. All the saints send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be your spirit. Thank you. Good to be with you this morning as we finish off Philippians. There's that last little bit at the end uh, that we, we'd forgot in the, uh, to put up on the slide. Uh, this last part of Philippians is a bit of mash of kind of, you know, Paul's thoughts about things, his final greetings, and he's sort of infusing a bit of a summary and kind of holding out the secret that he's found. Uh, and so, you know, in, in a way, kind of in classic Paul kind of styles, in that mashup, uh, it's our privilege to uh, explore and summarize and go deeper Uh, in Christ, that we too might find contentment. It's a big call, uh, Ryan, so I'm going to give everyone the secret to that, but I'm grateful that it's God's Word and not mine, so let's see what happens. Um, Have you ever received a, uh, a gift of support? Uh, and I'm not just talking about kind of like, you know, you've just done like a, you know, say, say you kind of did the, some stuff at the barbecue yesterday. That was great. Thank you for those that did that. And, and you get like a box of roses. I don't know if you got, you probably didn't get a box of roses, but uh, you, you know, that's kind of like, you know, you do something and you get a gift back. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking actually about someone who, who voluntarily uh, gives you a gift of support as a way of contributing to helping you get by. That's a very different kind of gift, isn't it? Many years ago, uh, when uh, Kel and I were newly married, I was still studying full-time, 
healthcare was on a pretty basic government wage, uh, and there were weeks that were kind of quite tight. Uh, and I remember sharing kind of in my Bible study, uh, which were a bu- mostly a bunch of other students and maybe some young workers, but everyone was sort of living at home kind of thing. Uh, I remember sharing kind of our predicament, and, uh, and what was lovely about that is that they hadn't reached that age where they had all the answers, and so sometimes we pray, oh God, we have this problem, and, and before we get to praying, uh, the rest of our group says, here's the answer. Um, that group didn't do that, which was nice. They simply prayed that God would sustain us and provide. I hadn't actually thought about how God might provide. Uh, A week later, uh, a guy came up to me from that group who was an apprentice, uh, and uh, he came up to me and just gave me an envelope. I was like, oh, thanks. And I opened the envelope, and there was a whole week's worth of rent, cash. And I said, brother, you can't can't do that. Like, you don't don't even have that much. Like, you you can't give me this. He refused to receive it back. Uh, And not only that, but in the weeks to come, uh, I offered to actually pay him back. And he said to me, no, uh, that was a gift to you. If you have uh, excess, maybe pay it on to someone else in need. It was such a simple little thing in so many ways. Like, it wasn't extraordinary, but yet it was. Uh, Because we don't actually do this kind of stuff very often. Uh, We're not good at receiving care, because in that kind of moment where we say, uh, I have need, uh, we kind of go, oh, but actually, I, I can, I can, I'm, I'm okay, I'm independent, I can solve this. Uh, and we don't like to be, sort of, to be reminded that we might need a handout. But in that little, ordinary and extraordinary moment, it really stood out to me in my Christian walk. It kind of opened my eyes to what we're called to in fellowship. And it helped sort of break down barriers of pride that might actually stop me and, and others receiving care. Our discontent is sometimes because we're in real need, and that's a fair kind of discontent. Uh, But it's not just our pride, perhaps, that stops us uh, receiving care. It's that I think sometimes we actually can't tell the difference between when we're in need and when we're in want. Uh, Calvin, the great reformer, uh, described our heart as an idol factory, uh, producing all manner of things to live for and offer ourselves to. And oh my goodness, have we ever lived in such a kind of demanding and discontent society? We have whole industries that are invested in making you discontent. Have you thought about that? Have you ever wondered why, why am I feeling so discontent? Because there is like a war against you that you might be discontent so that you would buy stuff to try and satisfy you. I go to the shops with my kids. Oh my goodness, it's so hectic right now. Like They didn't even know they wanted stuff before we get to the shops. Dad, I need that. I need it. You you didn't even know that existed. But their little cry is the same cry of my heart. And is it not yours? I need it. Bigger house, better job, new car, latest tech thing, more friends, feeling valued, making an impact on the world. Our heart aches with discontentment. Sometimes it's fair because it's based in real need, but other times we just are confused and crave and want and desire. And in the midst of all that, Paul shares how he has learned contentment. Do you want to learn? He's going to show us some things that don't fit neatly into our everyday longings, that aren't on the same track that we are headed on, perhaps. But he will show us, 
if we are willing to follow Jesus and find contentment in Him. So I'm going to pray that God would use this passage, uh, that He would show us what it means to find contentment in Jesus' name and not our own. So let me pray. Father, we lay down the busyness of our discontent heart. Quieten our minds now that we might see Jesus more clearly and find our contentment in Him. Amen. Well, I'm going to sort of spend most of our time... Oh yeah, yeah, that's the title of the sermon. I'm going to spend most of our time uh, actually looking at contentment uh, as I've just prayed. Uh, but it's, it's in the context of Paul uh, receiving care and caring for others. Uh, and, and, and as we kind of frame up this passage and give us some context, uh, as he finishes this letter, he says, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. It's kind of the phrase that we've gone with uh, for Mission March as we renew our care for our missionaries. Paul, as a missionary, had received such renewed care and he was very grateful for it. But there's this kind of Christian dance in the way that he's grateful for it, right? I don't know if you noticed it, but he's like, yes, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Uh, you hadn't been able to show concern for me before. You'd lacked opportunity. But, but I don't say this out of need because I don't need stuff. And, you know, while I'm thankful, kind of it's okay because I'm doing all right. And I've learned contentment. But again, also, thanks for trying. Appreciate the partnership. You know, this is kind of like, uh, no, no, I, you go first. I, I, you know. Paul, in this dance of kind of actually being genuinely thankful, but also actually saying you didn't need to do that because I am content, (laughs) actually kind of uh, brings to the fore what's happening in Paul's heart and what it means to actually show care. Uh, Because Christian care, we actually spoke about this at the um, Growth Group Leaders Training Workshop uh, last Sunday, as we wrestled with kind of how do we show care for one another in the Christian community, it, it, we, we have two, there's two errors. One is to kind of over-spiritualize it. Uh, that is, you have a care, you have a concern, well, let me just pray over that, and then, and then you know, that's it. The, the other error is the other extreme, and that is kind of like uh, we, we, we try and fix it, and we don't spiritualize it at all. But in the middle, we have this kind of beautiful uh, dependence on God, uh, this love for one another, and, and Paul is thankful, having received uh, their gift to him as a, also as a gift to God. Paul's dance around all these things is not kind of like, oh, you shouldn't have as a defensive pride kind of mechanism, but his actual learning of contentment. And that's where he digs into in verse 11. And so let's spend our time really wrestling with that, learning contentment. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, do you remember I said that, you know, we struggle to differentiate kind of need and want? I feel like Paul, sitting in prison, has some genuine needs. Like, Paul, don't get confused about need and want here. You really are in need, brother. Let us help you. But he says, I don't, uh, I, I don't need it. I, 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 I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content. Now, that kind of key uh, sort of sentence in this passage, I have learned to be content. Uh, that sense of learning is, is a real kind of through the cut and thrust of life. Paul has learned this. 
As a newborn Christian, remember we're sort of going back a couple of weeks now, but we talked about how our Christian journey starts when we have the victory in Christ, when we receive Him by faith. And we, it's our privilege and goal to know Him more, the power of His resurrection, until we see Him face to face. Paul is kind of speaking about looking back at a, at a lifetime, or, or not a lifetime, but you know, years of knowing Jesus and having learned contentment. It's been a journey for him. And so he doesn't say that just kind of like, well, you guys should all be content as well. But he speaks to people who are learning contentment as a way to encourage them. I am um, this picture on the screen. I actually asked an AI image generator to produce it. Um, I typed in a, a few emotions, particularly around kind of contentment, um, kind of a subtle smile, uh, and I said wrinkles. That's not an emotion, but I just said I need lots of wrinkles because I wanted to sort of have a sense of uh, you know those wrinkles represent a lifetime of learning. Uh, and they're kind of, and the smile isn't just kind of like a, you know, a, a beaming kind of happiness, but a kind of a, a deep sense of contentment. In contrast, when I Google, um, you know, what is contentment, I get a state of happiness and satisfaction. That that just doesn't cut it. That, that, that sort of describes for me uh, the feeling I have after having a big Christmas feast with loved ones. You know, I'm, I'm content. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. And, and actually, that might have described what life was like for Paul as he sat in Lydia's house in Philippi. Uh, Philia, f- f- sorry, um, uh, Lydia was, uh, you know, it was her house that the church was planted in. She came to faith as a very wealthy businesswoman uh, in uh, Philippi. A- and no doubt... Paul was very well looked after in the care of Lydia. But you might recall that the story goes in the same day he would have gone from like a breakfast banquet in Lydia's house through the riots in the streets as he ministered and then he was locked up in prison and that night kind of singing praise to God. You know, in 24 hours, he's gone from luxury, let's assume, to, to, to you know, being stuck in the middle of a riot, to being beaten and, and, and thrown in prison, but then also sort of having a little prayer and praise night in the prison. That's one day, and I think Paul would say, I'm content through all of that. He has learned what it means to be content. What does he say? Uh, I know, verse 12, I know both how to make do with a little and I know how to make do with a lot. In that one day, he had a lot and he had a little. And there's kind of, there's, there's, there's desire and temptation at both ends. When you have not much, there's a real discontent and an honest discontent in that. And it's easy to crave, to be jealous, to compare yourself to others. When you have a lot, it's easy to take pride in yourself. You don't need anything. Uh, and, and you kind of look down upon other people. But Paul knows contentment on both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. He has learned it through the ups and downs of life. In these verses, he explains that. It's actually in these things, in the reality of things, he has learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, in every circumstance. He's not done that through some kind of Zen abstraction, you know, to try and sort of disconnect himself from his desires in the world and kind of reach some kind of state of, you know, spirituality. He's actually found contentment staring the world in the face, confronting 
sin and suffering and disease and persecution, as well as abundance and generosity and love. What's his secret? Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that would definitely be another fridge magnet verse, right? If I looked at kind of the fridges across, Christian fridges across the world, that would be up there. Uh, listen to last week's sermon if you missed that reference. But I'm just, in a sense, I'm just saying that we, we, we latch on to these kind of phrases that kind of uh, are really powerful, they're, they're beautiful promises, uh, but they very easily also become this kind of just, I don't know, abstract thing that we kind of love, but when life gets busy and crazy, it kind of overwhelms these simple promises that we hold on to. But it's not a simple promise. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not a sentence of kind of like some kind of motivational speech. I'm able to do anything and God's going to strengthen me to do it. No, no, he's saying that in everything in life, in ups and downs, whether I'm in a prison or whether I'm being served a buffet breakfast in Lydia's house, I'm able to do all those things because it's God who is with me. He is able to work in me and through me and I've seen him do it. And so I have learned to actually trust Him. I've learned to find contentment in Jesus. You did well, sorry, uh, I'm able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. If we went back to kind of one of those key verses when we looked at actually the goal of the Christian life, it is to, and I keep sort of quoting it as I, as I look through kind of the Christian journey, my goal is to know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection, but let's not forget the little bit that comes after that, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Are we able to say, having travelled through sufferings of all kinds of varieties, to say we have learned contentment because we have found what it means to have fellowship of His sufferings, to know Jesus more and how He has suffered for us. And also has been raised that God did not forsake him, but vindicated him and raised him up. And I know he will work through all things, as Romans 8.28 will say, for the good of those who love him. Friends, it's that kind of deep, found dependence and acknowledgement of who God is that gives us contentment. And I cannot tell you from the front, just hold out a simple verse and say, therefore be content. You have to learn this. You have to actually put it into practice so that, so that you find Jesus in, in the kind of realities of your life. Paul finishes off that section, verse 19, by saying, And God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He said, having learned uh, contentment uh, through all the ups and downs of life, I know what it means to, to be provided for, and indeed, I have in abundance. And he says that sitting in a jail. I have in abundance. And, and he knows that, and he holds out the same thing to them, uh, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, this leads me to a much better definition of contentment. Uh, than what you'll find on Google. And it comes from a Puritan uh, who, uh, named Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And, and even he acknowledged that, that it is a rare jewel to find contentment because it needs to be learned through the cut and thrust of life. He says this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, 
gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly will in every condition. Are you able to, in seasons of abundance, actually just freely submit yourselves to God, saying, all that I have is yours, and I'm willing to use whatever abundance I have for you and for others? That's contentment. Uh, Are you able to sit in kind of moments of suffering and sadness and and freely submit yourself and delight in God because you know that even in that you are being conformed into the likeness of Christ? It is such a, a, a challenge, is it not? To find contentment on both ends of the spectrum as well as that kind of like, you know, just spin the wheel around in the middle moment, that mundane kind of reality of life where we're neither in abundance nor in want or in need. And yet, the same challenge is out to us, that we would find our contentment in Jesus. But I want to go a little bit further here. Uh, This week, I um, I reached out to a number of people from church and even people that we're partnering with in mission and and asked them to reflect on, on both contentment and the ways that they've been cared for and the ways they've been able to care for others, because they're very much related, as I'll finish with. There were three things that stood out to me that kind of eat away at our contentment. As we learn contentment uh, as disciples of Jesus and the ups and downs of life, there are three things that eat away at our contentment. The first one is worry. We spoke about this last week quite significantly, actually, uh, and we'll speak more about it on Thursday night. It's a huge topic. Um, just as an aside here, as, um, as Paul speaks about, uh, you know, how their gift was a, was a fragrant, what does he say here? Um, uh, a fragrant offering. That's a very Old Testament idea of kind of burning the sacrifice and it being a fragrant, kind of pleasing aroma to God. Uh, we, we had all these vases of, uh, of people's worries and we're like, as a staff to me, like, what do we do with that? Uh, we shouldn't look at them because they're kind of, you know, they're confidential. Um, we shouldn't just throw them out carelessly because they might just, you know, people, I don't know, whatever. So we burned them. Uh, as a fragrant offering to God, there was no more worries. But anyway, uh, New York pastor John Tyson uh, sort of diagnoses our culture in this regard of worry and says that an abundance without dependence is what is at root with so much of today. An abundance without dependence. To have lots, but also to have lots to worry about. I think he's right. Inside us is an aggressive spirit of consumption. Uh, and in it, it sort of sows a spirit of, of discontentment. He goes back to, and I think it's apt actually to go back to Israel when they were provided for daily. They walked through the desert uh, in their seasons of wanderings, and God provided for them manna from heaven. But because they didn't actually depend on God, that wasn't kind of, they didn't receive that with a spirit of, of dependence and humbleness. They received it in a spirit of aggressive consumption. And even in that season of great abundance and great provision, they grumbled. They were worried. God, you've led us out here in the desert to die. I wish we were back in Egypt. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer says to us, Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, your will be done. And after we kind of speak to God and his honor and his will being done and our dependence on him, then we say, give us our daily bread. So much of our discontentment is focused on the what 
when we ought to be focused on the who. Who is God? The, the antidote to our worries, as we spoke to last week, is actually presenting our requests to, to God and exercising even a frustrated dependence on Him. We come back to these kind of root questions of, is God good? Can I trust Him? Is He enough? Is He worth it? We skip over those kinds of deep questions when life's sort of okay, but then when life's hard, it actually exposes in us our answers to these questions. Is God good? I'm not sure right now. I'm worried He's not going to provide. Is He enough? I have, I have more needs than just kind of going to a church and hearing a spiritual talk. Is He worth it? I don't know right now. Friends, can you see how in moments of, of need, of worry, we are forced back to kind of see our dependence on God. But let us not kind of fret as though we're being exposed as frauds, but, but merely as, as sinners that have been saved by grace. And every moment of worry is an opportunity to exercise our dependence and come back to the who, who has made us, who has saved us, and will ultimately deliver us. The second thing that eats away at our contentment is comparison. Uh, you might be able to think just so readily right now of a moment where contentment was snatched away from you because you looked side to side. Uh, you, kind of, you were doing okay, maybe it was a good start to any particular day, uh, you get to work and you, you kind of hear about your colleague's weekend and you know, they're on a boat because they own a boat and they you know, had lots of friends and it was a good time and you're like, you jerk. <laughs> And, and, you know, you were happy with your weekend until you heard that story. Like, I just pick a really mundane, I didn't even write that, that's just such a mundane kind of trivial example. Comparison eats away, it, ma it makes it so easy, it's like a, a petri dish of, of envy. And, and when we are envious of others, we, we, we kind of, we lose our sense of contentment in ourselves, but also we start doubting God's tender care of us. Look how much God's blessed those people. Actually, I would, I would say that in ministry, this is as fraught as any other part of life. I remember there was a time when I was flicking through Facebook, and oh my goodness, is Facebook a cesspool for kind of discontentment. Um, uh, I was flicking through Facebook, and I remember seeing kind of a mate's church and kind of something they were doing, and it, was, it, was just, it, was, it looked amazing. And I was in a season of kind of, you know, not feeling kind of filled up in my ministry, and, and like, it, you know, it was hard and it wasn't fruitful. And it really sowed in me this, this moment, a, a bitterness and, but you've got to trace this, this bitterness all the way back to the root and come back to these questions of, is God good? Is He enough? As though your little tiny window of kind of seeing the world could be the answer to such things. We've got to come back to, to the bedrock of the God who is I am, the God who is eternal, the God who cares for us and has demonstrated that thoroughly in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. What is the antidote here? It's thankfulness. It's thankfulness for who God is. It's thankfulness for the way He's working in other people, whether they know it or not, actually. I, I find littered throughout this letter all kinds of examples. One that stood out to me the most, actually, was when Paul, back in chapter 1, is talking about how other preachers are crowding into the space where he once led. And there's all kinds of reasons for him to be discontent with that. Firstly, I wish I was preaching. 
You know, I really miss preaching. I, lo- I am a preacher. Uh, it says, you know, you can imagine Paul saying, but I'm stuck here and all these guys are actually doing a great job. But not only that, there are a bunch of preachers who are preaching out of uh, selfishness. And Paul could have easily said, that is not the gospel. What are you doing? You've been a discredit to Christ, but he says, no, if they're preaching Jesus, even if it's out of false motives, what does it matter in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. He is thankful that the word of Christ is going out. And so I wonder if you catch in your heart this kind of, this discontentment because you are envious, because you have compared yourself, I wonder if you might just stop yourself in that moment. And actually just pray a little prayer. God, I thank you for that person. I can see that there's good stuff happening in their life and you are the God that provides. And so I thank you for them and I thank you for what they're being blessed with. I tell you what, that little prayer, that little kind of discontent stopper will actually take out that root of bitterness from your heart and sow into you uh, uh, the root of, of contentment. The third one that stood out in conversations that I had with people this week was ambition. And this one's tricky uh, because uh, ambition kind of trades on discontentment. I mean, the reason we enjoy a lot of the the blessings of modern life is because people were were discontent with kind of how things were and and kind of, and made things better. Uh, we, We scratch where there is an itch. How do we solve this one? Because you cannot say that Paul was not ambitious. We couldn't say that, right? Uh, he was ambitious for Christ. He kind of gave up much and then, and then laid down uh, his life to, to serve and to grow churches. He was an ambitious missionary. A phrase that I've latched onto that I heard a while back was uh, a holy discontentment, a contented discontentment, if I might put it like that. And the only way to hold these things together is the fact that we know that this world is broken. And so we will always be discontent in various aspects of it. But the key to kind of moving forward with that discontentment is not that we are the saviour, but that Jesus is the saviour. In verse 18, Paul says, I have received everything in full and I have an abundance I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have provided. And here is one of the keys here, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Here is the key, I think, for us to be able to invest ourselves in being ambitious for God, for carrying out this contented discontentment. It's because the gift that the Church of Philippi gave to Paul wasn't as much a gift to Paul as it was to God. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. I find that when I do things, even in the Lord's strength, for people, when it's my gift to them, I sow in all kinds of discontentment when things don't go well. But if I give to others, if I serve others as firstly and foremostly a gift to God, then I will let God use that as He may. It totally changes things. Just yesterday, I received an email from someone who had worked really hard on something for church, something I hadn't asked for nor was expecting. It would be easy for such a person to be frustrated if I said no. <laughs> There's all my kind of reasons why I might say that. It also kind of makes the dynamic a little bit weird for me, perhaps, if I feel the burden to say yes just by virtue of their work. But this is what they said in the email. This work is God's, 
and he has a plan. His plan might not be for it to be used here or now. I want his will and only his will to be done. When we offer gifts of love and service, first and foremostly to God as a fragrant offering to him, it's a way to exercise a godly ambition without sowing in a discontentment when things don't go according to how you had in mind. I'm running out of time, so I'll, just, I'll, finish, I'll skip over that bit. Friends, how might you put into practice a dependence on God, a thankfulness to God and for others, and that you might offer your service to God and not for Him or for others as you live out your godly ambition. All of this actually flows naturally into a renewed care. Because the more that we are content in here, the more we are no longer kind of feeding the desires of our heart and caught up in that, that the more liberated we are to actually use what we have to care, to give, to serve. One of our link missionaries said this, I'm reminded that the things of this world are temporary. This allows me to find contentment in God knowing that there is eternal treasure and contentment in heaven. Oh, may God loosen our spirit of discontentment in our hearts that we might find our identity, our satisfaction, our contentment in God. It was actually um, a, a man named Daniel Tharambirajar Niles, who was a Salonese pastor, who wrote in the New York Times something that you would know actually quite well. It's because it's become a, sort of a very uh, beautiful but almost cliched kind of description of the Christianity. He said this, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Have you heard that phrase before? It's a, it's a beautiful summary of, of the gospel. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And when we recognize that we are sinners that have been saved by the grace of Jesus who says, I will gift to you life because I am the bread of life. That, then we don't, we don't have a high view of ourselves. We have a, view, a, a sort of a humble view of ourselves that we are saved sinners. And when we realize that we've, we've been gifted that bread, that bread of life through the grace of Jesus, that then it actually shapes the way that we hold out that to others. We don't stand over others. We simply hold out the same bread that we've received to other beggars, telling them where to find the bread of life. What would it look like if our church lived that out? If we were able to live that out in everyday life, a contentment, having found the bread of life and holding it out to others, it makes sense that this flows into care, doesn't it? There was a lady from the night service um, a number of weeks ago who noticed that her neighbour uh, was in need. I won't go into the details of it, but just noticed kind of a, 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 a love thy neighbour kind of curiosity that led her to simply observe that, that things were not well and that her, her neighbour needed some care. Not knowing how to care, simply asked, are you okay? And out of that, a bit of a story. Uh, and... You know, sometimes we get quite overwhelmed with kind of, oh my goodness, there's systemic stuff going on in your life and I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but there's one, there's sometimes there's, you know, just asking, are you okay and having a conversation, that itself is a beautiful act of care. But in this example, uh, the lady from church here said, could I arrange for a meal for you? 
And she said, yes, I'd really like that. And so she came to church and grabbed something out of the freezer here and uh, offered it to her neighbour. This is the text message I received the next morning. Good morning, Mike. Sending you a quick update that the woman I dropped the food to yesterday was beyond thankful, almost cried, invited me in and told me all about what was happening. I was able to ask if they would like me to pray for their baby and she said, yes, please. Thanks for allowing me to help them. What's that last bit? Thanks for like, But I wonder how, like, how do we empower you as a church to, to actually go out and show acts of love, even if it's simply to say, how are you? Now, this is a beautiful kind of expression of, of simple, tangible needs being met, not trying to solve everything, but just a gesture of love. Uh, that lady is actually involved in our new uh, food pantry. There is a freezer in the ministry centre uh, with, with some notes on it to say what's in there and a, and a number that I've scribbled out for YouTube uh, to, to text if you take something from it. That last bit at the end of the thing, thanks for allowing me to help them. You don't need my permission to, to help people. And you can march into the ministry centre even after church and, and grab a couple of meals and text that number to say I've, I've grabbed a couple to help us do some stock management so we know when to make some more. There are 30 meals right there ready to go. Now, this is not the answer to caring for our community, to showing a renewed care that's come from the contentment we have in Christ, but it's a way. And I wonder that as we explore this and as we keep conversation going to how we might empower one another to serve others in our community in the name of Christ, my hope is that God would do something beautiful there, that people would find, just as we have found the bread of life, that they would find Jesus. What discontentment are you carrying today? There's no vases, there's no writing today. But would you, would you invite Jesus to take you on a journey? And not just to solve it, but to, so that you would learn the art of contentment. Walking with that thorn in your side, but knowing that Jesus is good. He is worth it. And he will provide all to the glory of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, there are all kinds of reasons that we experience and even make up, as it were, to find discontentment. Our hearts are sick with it in all kinds of ways. And yet, Jesus, as we, as we look to you, as we look to the simplicity of the way you walked through the worst of things with a dependence on your Father, with a thankfulness, would you sow that same root in us that by the work of your Spirit we would learn contentment, that we would savour Jesus and that we would hold him out to a world in need. Amen.